Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Just wanted to take a brief moment to give you guys a little idea how we do it here at Paddle and Fin Podcast. We use the Anchor.fm recording platform. Super easy, distributes our podcast to many, many different platforms. There's creation tools to allow you to record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. Check out anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Use promo code PNF20 to save 20% off your jig order. Welcome to the Paddle and Fin Podcast, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment, where we try to improve our skills as an angler by learning new techniques or improving the ones we already know. I'm your host, Ryan Milton. Welcome back to Paddle and Fin. Bass Fishing for Noobs. I'm your host, Ryan, and today we are doing another host interview. We got the one and only Mr. Sam Jones on here. Welcome to the to uh, my segment here, buddy. Thanks, man. I'm excited. I'm doing like a tour of all the segments. I've been <laughs> stuck for so long over there on the reel down, and now I'm getting to venture out. It's pretty cool. You know, we had a group meeting and we were like, you know, we need to give Sam a chance to, you know, try some of this other stuff. You know, he's getting overshadowed by Dan over there on uh, on Real Down. And so... <laughs> Goodness, is that how it went? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm I'm really interested in uh, this interview here because Sam's a little different than than a lot of us bass fishermen. You know, a lot of us bass fishermen like to. When we can, we like to stay shallow, but Sam, you know, it seems like he likes to head out deep and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, that's a problem. That's an area problem where I have a lot of issues and I believe a lot of other anglers have, have some issues with that, like finding the fish out deep. So, uh, this should be pretty interesting, but Sam, we'll you know, try. you spend your, you spend your podcast career you know, interviewing other anglers and, you know, highlighting their fishing and, you know, their tournament victories and everything. I, I feel like you kind of get overlooked because you're, you're a pretty good fisherman yourself. You know, you, I, I know you've won, uh, you've won some tournaments this year, or, or at least one I know of you've won this year. Um, you might've 
done some more. I'm not not hundred yeah, percent. I got one one big one, which was the SIAC championship here in Indiana, our club championship. And then I had another club win and some online stuff yeah. this year. So And and you did pretty good in the uh KBF Angler of the Year. You know, you beat Brian Schiller, you know. <laughs> Brian the Killer. I did Schiller. all right for the I did all right for my rookie year. Um, definitely, I had goals of finishing a little bit higher, but I was, you know, I took uh, last year was all about just getting my feet wet in the kayak tournament stuff and um, just kind of filling it out. And I think I, I accomplished most of my goals last year. All right, well, let's get started with you. I, I know you got a big background with fishing, so, you know, just for. You know, anybody that hasn't really paid it. I know you've talked about it a little bit here on the podcast, but just for people that haven't really paid attention, maybe, or people that are brand new to the podcasts, you know, where'd you start with bass fishing? So I think like most people, my story is similar in the fact that I've always fished. I, my earliest memories are with a rod and reel in my hand and fishing um, and Boy Scout fishing derbies and all those kinds of fun things that we do growing up. I didn't actually get into bass fishing until I was about 14, though. I mean, I'd caught them, you know, but I I didn't go out with the purpose of, you know, finding and catching bass and using artificial lures and that sort of stuff until I was 14. Um, that all got started in a creek near my house. I'd uh, I'd seen some fish in the creek riding my bike by one day, and that's kind of, it's a longer story, but I'll I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, you know, I grew up by this creek my whole life, and my, my parents told me there wasn't any fish in there, and I believed them, and maybe they didn't think there was, or maybe they were just trying to keep me out of the creek when I was younger, because <laughs> uh, it fluctuated water level a lot, so it is kind of a dangerous creek, but so they shut down the road uh, that we lived on, and me and my cousin were riding our bikes up and down the state highway that was shut down at that time for construction, and we stopped on the bridge, and we're doing what normal teenage boys do at, at that time and we were looking around and we saw fish swimming underneath they were big carp and we ran back to the house and grabbed our fishing poles and caught some fish that day maybe one or two and then that night I wanted to go get some bait for the next day so I went to the I went to Walmart with my mom and I was in the fishing aisle and I saw some crankbaits and I grabbed a crankbait begged her and pleaded her to get it and uh got that crankbait and went fishing the next day in that creek with it and just caught bass after bass after bass on this little norman coffin lip crankbait i still have it um <laughs> and then uh that's impressive bought, yeah yeah bought bought like a like a half a dozen of those things and that's where i got started that's where i, I was hooked literally from that moment on i obsessed over it um every morning if i wasn't fishing i was watching fishing shows and reading Bassmaster magazines and FLW magazines. So been a member of both of those since I was like 14. And then when I was in, when I was 16, I started hanging out with some different guys and, and getting into tournament fishing. So, um, I've fished from everything from a float tube to a canoe, sit inside kayaks, bass boats, $50,000 bass boats and bass boats that I fixed up at home. Um, John boats that we built and everything. So I've, I've fished in it all pretty much. So, yeah, 
that's uh, that's kind of where it all started, though. Sweet. So, all right, like I was talking about earlier, you know, I was talking about that that deep water fishing. You know, I know you you like to go for those deep deep bass. So, how, okay, if you're going to a brand new body of water, like what what's your what's your first move? Like, what's the first thing you're doing to break that water down? Um, brand new body of water. How much time do I have? Uh, how much time do you usually have? Like, say you're going to a tournament on a body of water you never fished on. How, how long do you usually give yourself to pre-fish? I like three days. That's Four a lot of time. Max. That is a lot Not, of time. <laughs> I, no, no. It's oh, a lot okay. of time if it's if it's a club tournament, but if, if when you're talking about when you're talking about fishing at that higher level, right? You know, and and you're fishing for AOIs and you're fishing for paychecks and trying to qualify for championships and stuff like that. More of those elite quote unquote events. I think it's the perfect amount of time. There are guys that fish more. I I, I think. My comment on it being a lot of time is going off of I get like five days of vacation time. So I try to put myself, you know, if I'm a mm-hmm. fish KBF events, you know, you know, that I, I think we got like four or five events in our region this coming year. So if I only got five days, how am I going to spread that out? It'd be like one day a piece. I get like one day of pre fishing if I were to do that. So that, that that's my thinking behind it. You might so, get more vacation time than me. Well, I, I work for myself now. Well, now. But, but. So, but previously, I did. I did have a lot of vacation time that I had I had racked up, and, and so I was able to do that. But so I'll answer it two different ways, okay? So I'll answer it how I do it, and then I'll answer it how I'd do it if I was in your situation, right? Because I think your situation is probably more of the average kayak angler, right? Right. That's the, that's their situation. They get four weeks of vacation max, maybe two weeks for most guys, and then even less for some. So if I'm you and I've got maybe one day of practice, right? I've picked these are the five tournaments I'm going to fish. They're five new bodies of water, and I got one day to fish. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do a ton of study on YouTube. I'm going to watch every stinking YouTube video I can find and not just bass fishing. If there's a catfish, a crappie, a striper, whatever kind of fishing it is, I'm going to watch every single YouTube video, whether it's two minutes longer or an hour long on that body of water. And I'm going to be looking for landmarks. I'm going to be looking at water clarity. I'm going to be looking at seasonal patterns that they're fishing. I'm going to be looking about what lures they're using and how they're using them. I'm going to be looking at what the, what the bank, what the structure on the bank looks like, you know, the rock. I'm going to be listening to the things that they're talking about. If I can see their graph in that video, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to their graph. So that would be the first thing, right? I would do a ton of study on that. Then I would go to maps some people might do that the opposite of way around, but I'm going to go to maps second after that so that I've got a visual idea of what that lake looks like, that lake looks like, 
And now I'm going to take it to the map and it's going to help me better read that map for that lake. Let me stop you just real quick and yep. ask a question on that. Um, when you say maps, you know, I, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about maps, especially you and Brian when y'all were, you know, fishing KBF and stuff. Are y'all talking about like an actual physical map? Or are y'all talking about like Navionics on your phone or both? What? Oh, okay. Both. Because every map you get is going to show you something different. So Navionics is great because it's it's so user friendly, it's easy, it's accessible, it's free. It's a great it's a great place to start. Historical maps are better yet because really? you can yeah. Because the historical maps, especially if you can find topo maps and stuff like that before the lake was even formed. Ooh. Now you really are starting to understand what that looks like, what that structure is about, what houses were there, where were the roads, where were the valleys, the ditches. Those They're hard to find, but you can find them on that's, some lakes. That's really going in depth right there, but, but it makes sense because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Percy Priest Lake here in Middle Tennessee, you know, they, they say there's still houses underneath there yep. where they just flooded them. Yep, there are. They're foundations mostly now, right? I, I, I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They're they're mostly foundations now, but there's still structures out there. So so that's one part of it, right? Um, and then you know, pulling up your graph, if you've got a hummingbird or a Garmin or a Lowrance. Now Lowrance uses Navionics as the stock, but they have what's called C Map now that has come out which is way more comparable to some of the higher end mapping that you see on lake master and what garmin's using so you're going to use that right you're going to pull up your graph and you're going to mark stuff there you're going to look at those maps any map you can get your hand on and then google earth google earth is great because you can see current you can see past and historical satellite imagery so you can look when that water's up and when that water's down. So, and if it's a lake that fluctuates a lot, like in the winter pool, it's really shallow or it's, you know, really low. All that, if you know right now that you're going to, say, Kentucky Lake in the summer, and right now that that lake is pulled way down for winter pool, right now's the time to look at it on satellite imagery. Because all of those things that are visible yeah. you know, on the surface are going to be under the water when you go in the summer. See, that's something I've actually, you know, even the areas that I fish quite a bit, that's something that I've been trying to take advantage of is like when I go to like Stones River, for example, that runs into Percy Priest Lake. That's where I like to fish a lot. And yeah. right, right now it's low. And so, you know, I'm trying to make like a mental map of where all this structure yep. is that's exposed right now while the water's low. That yep. way, when it warms back up and I get back out there, you know, I, I, I know about where that stuff is. So Absolutely. I, and that's something as a kayak <laughs> angler is a huge advantage to us is when the ramps are silted up and you they can't launch those bass boats we can drag a kayak out there and get on the water. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you could go around and you can mark that stuff on your, on your units 
or if you've got like an app like the angler app and the bullseye you can sit there and mark waypoints with that bullseye or go in and manually do it with the free app or any other program you want to use or a notebook you know what i'm saying or like get on get on your phone pull up google maps and start dropping points on google maps because that's going to be there forever right you just log into your google account on any device and boom there's all those points so i think that is one thing where i'm messing up is i'm trying to make like all mental notes of where this stuff is uh, instead of actually you know marking it on something yeah that is probably i know guys can do that i know guys that can do that they can tell you that 10 years ago uh in bears cove on so-and-so lake in 12 foot of water 30 foot into the cove is a stump that's two foot off the bot i can't do that no way (laughs) i have to have i have to have it digitally or or manually written somewhere and my brain just doesn't i'm lucky to remember you know what i did five i'm not kidding you my desk is like notepads and my phone is full of notes i got them everywhere i just i can't remember things like that so i use different tools but so um to move this along that's what that's where i would start right i would do all the studying i can leading up to that you know you got a tournament two months from now start studying now then the next thing i'm going to do is i'm going to pick the area of the lake so i'm going to eliminate water first usually people are looking for water to fish i'm eliminating water first i'm going to eliminate as much of that lake as i can and then i'm going to look for areas that have stuff that i'm comfortable with right so you know i'm going to look for the parts of the lakes that have the most of the things that i'm comfortable fishing with or i feel like those fish are going to be where those fish are going to be um and i'm going to break down that one small section of the lake and if i find a pattern that looks like that i'm going to try and find through mapping i'm going to try or from memory from watching those youtube videos i'm going to try and find other areas that i can ramp hop and hit that have similar types of structure okay so that's what I'm doing if I have one day of practice. I'm going to I'm going to do all that study up front and then I'm going to go to the water. I'm going to take a look at a few different ramps. I'm going to launch in an area that I feel has the most potential. You know, it's got creek channels and ditches and rock and wood and all those things in one area. Somewhere in there there's going to be a fish and I'm going to try and put a pattern together in there. And then I'm going to ramp hop and try and find other places that are similar to it. Pick the best one and then tournament fish. That's if I have one day of practice. Now, if I have what I prefer, three or four days, anything more than that I think is too much. I think it's way too much. But three days I think is the perfect. So what I'm gonna do, I'm still gonna do all that map study. I'm still gonna do all that eliminating water, just like I talked about in your scenario. But on day one for me, I'm gonna check a bunch of ramps if I can, I'm going to drive around and check a bunch of ramps. Or if I feel like I've got it dialed in pretty well through my study, I'm going to get on the water first thing in the morning in my first area. And I'm going to start covering water. I want to see what it looks like. I'm not going to put the bait in the water very much. Maybe to check something that I see on the graph. 
maybe to check the bottom contours or something like that with the with a heavy jig or something like that to feel what's down there what's really down there and get an idea of how it feels compared to what i'm seeing on my graph i might move it run a moving bait or something like that and just test the waters a little bit but i'm really not going to have a bait in the water much i'm going to be either if you're pedaling or paddling or you have a motor same thing covering as much water as i possibly can to see that lake because when i do start fishing and I do start putting a pattern together, I want to know that I can run over to different parts of that body of water to find, you know, if, it, if I'm catching fish on the end of a laydown in 15 foot of water, right? Catch one, I catch two, I catch three. Now I've got a pattern. So I want to know how many other laydowns are like that within the lake. You know what I'm saying? So that's day one, right? That's what I'm doing day one. I'm just covering water and trying to understand what it looks like, trying to put a couple bites together. Day two, I'm trying to formulate plan A, B, and C. I'm trying to figure out what the different patterns are and trying to understand where, where those fish are setting up. And I'm also trying to understand where those fish might go if conditions change. If I've got a front coming in, if I got rain coming in, cloud cover one day, sun the next day, right? I don't expect those fish to travel miles and miles down the lake. I expect them to stay somewhere in that area. So I'm trying to understand where they might go if conditions change. Because I still got to catch them. If I'm catching them on a buzz bait in practice and they don't bite a buzz bait in that first hour or two during the tournament, I've got to, I got to change it up. So you got to have plan A, B, and C, right? So that's kind of what I'm doing. And then I'm looking for new areas, right? On day three, I've, I've formulated my plan on day two, what I plan to do on my tournament. At the end of the day, I've, I've gone back to the campsite or the hotel room. I formulated my plan in my head on day three. I'm going to go back to my primary area and check it, make sure those fish are still there, set up the same way, might throw a bait in there once or twice, make hook one or two or shake one or two off. Okay. And then I'm going to go, I'm, I'm leaving it. I'm gone. I'm going to go find more water. I'm going to cover more water. Look for those backup plans. If something goes, goes wrong, you know what I'm saying? And then I'm going to get off the water fairly early. I'm going to try and get off the water by midday, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, get my batteries charged up, start prepping, retying, respooling, setting my tackle up and the manner in which I want it for the tournament, making sure everything's clean and tidy. Then I'm going to go check in, I'm going to have a good meal, get some rest, do a little more map study and then go, go to work on tournament day. That's, that's kind of my regiment. So, all right. Um, so when it, when it comes to, you know, the deeper bass, I think it's pretty safe to say you got to have pretty good electronics to really dial that in. Right. Um, yeah, electronics are definitely key. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you can't fish deep without good electronics or without electronics at all you can it's definitely easier 
the better your electronics are. And I don't have like $2,000 electronics. Let me put it out there. I'm running off in my kayak. I'm running off of uh, a hook two, seven inch, you know, it's not, it's not a thousand dollar plus model. Um, it's a really solid model for what it is in the price range that it is, but you can, you can still fish deep with a, a $90 unit from Walmart, you know, or without a unit at all. I learned how to fish deep without ever having a sonar. That that's interesting. I want to get into that, but first, you know, you're talking about those high dollar units. I was at Bass Pro Shop yesterday with my dad and yep. you know they had some some units on display and for like you know small price of like thirty five hundred dollars mm. you can get you can get one the size of basically my tv in my living room yeah like this thing is huge i mean it, it's an exaggeration and think, it's really that big but it's huge and and think the bass boat guys run three at the console and three up front of that crazy. size like I, I was just thinking you know one that size like imagine it on a kayak like that would be ridiculous it i'm not gonna lie to you i'm gonna put a nine or a ten inch screen on my kayak this year (laughs) you gotta go big huh you gotta you gotta my buddy alan we did a seminar today and he said it best you gotta get the best thing you can in your budget if your budget's $90, get the best unit you can for $90, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. But you got to get the best unit you can in your budget. And I, that Hook 2 has been a great unit for me, but I, there are things that it's missing that I would like to have, and I know that would help me dial it in even further on the water in the tournament. And if I got to spend $2,000 on a, on a unit, but it helps me cash checks, I'll do it. Got to spend money to make money. Yeah, I mean, from y'all's point of view, like you and you were talking about Alan Reed. I, I assume you mean Alan Reed. Yeah, yep, Alan uh, Reed, my travel friend. Uh, but from y'all's perspective, you know, y'all hit a lot of tournaments and events. Yeah, I, I could see spending big money on a on a unit like that because, you know, you can make your money back cashing checks, you know, based on that. But, uh. I've also got one of the Lawrence hook twos, but I got like the smaller version. It's like a four inch. It's like 120, 130 bucks at Walmart. So it, yours is probably a lot better than mine, but you know, I'm still trying to figure this one out. But Hey, that still gives you some of the key things, right? That still gives you an idea of how hard that bottom is. It gives you an idea if there's structure there and it gives you an idea of, um, you know, water temperature and obviously depth and if it's set up even a cheap one will give you an idea where the thermocline is so that gives you some of those key aspects you need to know right so it's not a bad place to start at all yeah i mean this is my i guess you can say my first real fish finder you know i had a little portable like 40 dollar thing i was using that pretty mm-hmm. much was only good for water depth which does help you know if you know how yeah. fish how deep the water is you know that does help it helps you find little pockets like deep pockets in the water and stuff but, but this is my first one that i'd kind of trust to tell me like if i see a fish on there like there's a good chance there's actually a fish down there 
Yeah, but absolutely. If you're seeing a blip, something's there. You know what I mean? Something's there. It's it's either a, a bass or a catfish or a crappie or something. So, all right. So, with with the with the deep water, you know, I, do do you fish? You know, deeper pretty much year round. So let me clarify one thing. Okay. I, I do fish deep when I can, but I'm not necessarily just a deep water fisherman. I'm an offshore. Like, so I may be fishing two foot of water out in the middle of the lake on a flat. Okay. Or I might be fishing 30 foot of water, but I just tend to stay away from the bank. So depending on the lake, that could be very deep water or that could be just offshore structure. So I just want to make sure that people understand that when they're listening or watching, like everything I'm talking about just isn't about fishing in 30 foot of water or 20 foot of water. In fact, largemouth often you won't find them that deep. Not now they will get that deep, but often they're not that deep. Well, Sam, I appreciate you coming on my segment and making me feel stupid for assuming you were fishing deep when you were fishing offshore. <laughs> That's okay. No, no, not, that is a common misperception when people talk about fishing offshore, fishing, you know, off the bank. People immediately assume that you're fishing really deep. Not always the case. You know, some lakes don't get deeper than 12, 15 foot. Is that for an average depth? You know what I'm saying? But I do fish deep a lot, so we can talk about that. This is one part. <laughs> so, well, that makes me feel a little bit better about myself yeah, right now. Yeah, it's just it's just one part of it. So, well, when you are fishing deep, mm-hmm. uh, how, how do you usually, you know, go about that? I'm I'm sure you look into a lot of what the what the bass actually feed on in, in that particular lake. Yeah, but uh, I I feel like you have to use more like heavy lures to get it down there in twenty or twenty five thirty foot waters. I get, as an example. Sometimes, sometimes it is a finesse thing, though. It it really is. I look. Here's the thing. As we go to talk about this, I, I'm sure there will be fifteen twenty guys that'll listen to it and they will completely agree with me. They'll be like, "Yep, that's what it is." There'll be 15, 20 guys that all have been like, I've never heard anyone talk about that. There'll be 15, 20 guys that'll probably be 100% disagree with what I'm saying, right? It's all based off of experience. But well, that, that is a big thing with fishing is a lot of it is preference. And like you said, experience, you know, you know, so, some people tend to cling to jigs more. Some people tend to cling to, you know, crankbaits more, you know, so so I understand what you're saying right there. Yeah. And I fish anything that you fish up shallow, I'm going to fish out offshore. I'm going to fish it deep, whether it be a shaky head, a jig, a crankbait, like you said, topwater, a spinnerbait, anything that you would fish up shallow, I'm going to fish deep too. So you I, fish, you fish topwater shallow, or I mean, in deep water? Heck Yeah. So Lake Wachita, um, for the FLW KBF cup, this past summer I was fishing in 25 to 40 foot of water with 
topwater and spy baits and swim baits. 25 to 30, 40 foot of water. I'm guessing you had a lot of water clarity. Absolutely. Yeah, very clear water. Bait fish, that's where the bait fish was. You know, that's where the shad were at, balled up, running around, schooled up, busting out there in that in that depth range. But I wasn't the the thing is I was fishing on top when I was searching. But when I when I had the area where I felt like the fish were, I wasn't fishing on top, even though those fish were busting on top and the bass were busting on top. I was fishing underneath the school. So if the if the bass were busting up, say in twenty foot of water, thirty foot of water, the bass were busting up top, I was probably fifteen foot down on the water column when I was getting bit. That's the that's where I was running my running my lures. So that's the that's the area I was targeting. In some so, cases. So were you trying to like present more of like a a a dying bait fish like yeah kind of like uh what's is it is it the nico rig or the is it the nico rig or the mickey rig where it's like a dying shad kind of floating down the Demiki. the mickey rig is yeah one. yeah it's just like a little bonnet <laughs> so here's what was going on at, at wachita one of two things you had big schools that were running out in that deeper water right and you got a lot of little fish that were up there busting on them but sitting underneath there were the larger fish now where the really good bite it was tougher where the really good bite was actually really shallow they were running the bait up really shallow and there was a lot of bigger fish in there uh dusty yacker did amazing job we were fishing in the same area and he just he figured he figured the speed and the cadence out a little better than i did and was able to really jack them but when that bite would die off really shallow, I'd run out and chase them out in the middle and stuff and pull out a little bit deeper, but the quality was a little less. So then I started dropping down lower and the quality started coming up a little bit again. So I think oftentimes those bigger fish just kind of sit out underneath, let all those little fish do the work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I've heard other people say that on my segment, talk to me. You know, kind of let let the smaller fish, you know, wear them out or even like, you know, they, they might even kill them but not actually get them in their mouth or something. They start dying and floating down and then they just gobble them up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, but, again, that's that's just that's just one small example there so well what's some of your favorite techniques to use in bass fishing you know whether you are fishing shallow or or deep just some of your your favorite ones some that you've had the most success with some that are just fun to do or how well you being you know a serious bass fisherman you probably don't do it just for the fun you probably do whatever it takes to to get that bass on the end of the line but you know where I'm going with this. You know, I what, do. Some... I, yeah. So just fun fishing. I want to go out and have a good time. I'm going to throw a frog. I love throwing a frog. I'm And I don't, I don't throw it the same way a lot of people do. 
Um, but that's that's one of my favorite ways to fish. I don't often throw a frog in a tournament situation though. Um, Reason just, behind that? Because I think for me it is the hookup ratio and landing ratio goes way down and it's not super efficient. So in a tournament scenario, I'm looking to be as efficient as possible and I don't like messy fishing. So don't See, get me wrong. I've won tournaments on frogs, but that's rare that I will fish a frog in a tournament. See, that's where you need to get some of those frogs that uh, Mr. Dan Perry got me in our secret Santa. Cause the, did, did, did you listen to our episode we did with that? I know you uh, kind of missed out on that, but. Uh, hang on. Yeah. I've, these things are pretty sweet wherever they are. There they are. They have Velcro on them. Now I've got to change out boxes. I forget what brand they were. You'll have to ask Dan. These here, they got Velcro on the back of them. He yeah. said they're, they're supposed to help make the uh, lip stick mm-hmm. to there to increase the ratio. So that might be something to try so you can start using those. In the yeah, tournament. there was, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Mans. I'm not sure. There was a company that used to mold Velcro into their ribbon tail worms. Really? Yeah. So... For what you just said, but also, too, it just gave them a little extra texture that supposedly helped them hold on. So we could do a whole show on frog fishing, so I, I, I won't go too, <laughs> too in-depth here. But one of the main reasons is, even if you have a great frog, fish miss a lot on that frog in those heavy mats. You know what I'm saying? That. Yeah, I can now, see that. Uh, Open water frog fishing, whole another topic. Again, we could hold, do a whole show on just that. But I just don't find it to be super efficient. So I avoid it a lot of times. But I'll tell you one thing that I do. So um, BizBaits has a frog called the Pad Daddy. It's a great frog. It's got nice ribs on it, and then it's got an open hook slot in it. So that it stays from getting hung up and stuff but the hook you can keep it exposed so your hookup ratio does go up but a lot of times what i do i don't fish hollow body frogs a whole lot i fish paddle tail frogs even on nasty slop i fish paddle tail or you know paddle frogs not paddle tail but paddle frogs buzz frogs right those soft plastic frogs i fish those a lot more than i do a hollow body and i burn them i burn them and then when I get a blow up, if they don't get it, they make a hole and I know where they're at now. They usually don't go very far. And so I'll flip in there with a heavy tungsten weight and whatever bait I prefer that day, I'll flip that in there into that hole and I'll usually pick it up that way. Or then I'll have a hollow body rigged up too. And I'll toss that hollow body 10, 15 yards past that hole, I'll work it up to that hole and I'll just kill it right in the hole. And they'll come up and now they've got a clean spot to hit that. That's a lot of times how I frog fish. Um, and I've had a lot of success doing it that way. So that's my fun bait, right? The frog. Um, 
bought a swim bait, shaky head, a jig, and a spinner bait. Those are my my four go tos. Um, you know, the fifth one I'd throw in there would be like a Z, Project Z chatterbait or the jackhammer. Man, I I got a couple of those jackhammers. I can't wait to use them. Yeah, so, they all right. Fish. I'm I'm gonna intervene here one more time. I'm sorry I keep interrupting no. you. It's fine. It's about. So at Bass Pro Shop yesterday, I found another Z-Man chatterbait that I've never even heard of. I've never seen them. I've never heard of them, but it's kind of like like a uh, like a swing jig type type deal, but it's a <clears throat> the same price range as the Project Z chatterbait, but it's like a chatterbait and it's just you know a hook on a on an eye. And yep. so it's got a lot of movement to it. Have you seen those? Yeah, they got like an offset hook on them, right? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of deal. Yeah, I've seen them. It's, like you said, it's like a, uh, like a swivel head, and that's basically how I would fish it. I would fish that on. I'd keep constant bottom contact with that thing, and I'd keep that thing moving. But I'm, I'm not, I'll just double-check if yeah, it is offset hook. I've not. I can't say that I've. I've seen them. Yes, I've not fished one, um, and I can't tell you any experience I know of anyone else fishing them. But I would fish that similar to what I, I would fish a a typical swivel football head style jig. Yeah, I was thinking. You know, I, I got some diesel minnows with it, mm. and I was thinking put one of those on there, and you know, just just kind of fish it. You know, somewhat slow, but still, you know still give it that action to where it can flutter when up. but uh sorry i interrupted you no that's good stuff man i and i would also say too anytime i would imagine that with the right trailer that would give off a really wide wobble so anytime yeah. you're in a situation in which that is beneficial that's when i would maybe try throwing that but honestly man the project z and the jackhammer it's hard to put those down yeah man i one of the biggest things with chatterbaits right now is the waters that I've been fishing when I've been able to get out, they've been so dirty and muddy and not much visibility to them. Um, I feel like that, you know, that vibration and that water displacement is going to, is probably a key factor right now to, uh, to draw in those fish to you, you know, yeah. them. but I, I haven't had any luck since you know i think the last fish i caught was in like early november uh, and i've went out a few two or three times with no luck so my theory may be completely wrong well i don't think you're completely wrong i think you're really close to keying in on what it is so you said it's really muddy so that can be different for everyone so what when you talk about clarity let's talk about and how many feet or inches. maybe a feet or, or maybe a, a foot. maybe a <laughs> maybe a foot of maybe a foot of visibility. So it's not chocolate milk, right? Um, I what's your water temperatures? Uh, actually, it was higher the last time I went out. It was about fifty-four degrees. It's been around like fifty, fifty-one, but it actually got up to like fifty-four the last time I went out. Next time I go out, it's probably going to be lower. You know, we're got a cold front coming through. It's going to be like a high of thirties air temp uh the next couple days and it ain't supposed well, to go up too much anytime soon so 
Yeah, and when you're talking about river or creeks or streams and stuff like that, when you've got a lot of water rushing in, rainwater, that's cooling it down too. So when you got rainwater rushing in that's just causing it to muddy up, that's cooling down your water system as well. Then it kind of stables out, and that temperature will come up a little bit, and you get a little more rain come in, and that drops. So air temperature is not the only thing, only thing that's affecting that. And we um, have had a lot of rain lately too. Yeah, so that's cooling down your water system too. So what I would say this time of year, I would, when we're talking about throwing a jackhammer, I would be throwing an all black jackhammer, black blade, black and blue skirt, black trailer, and I would throw that as tight to cover or in the cover as possible and i would be reeling it as slow as possible to get the vibration or i may not even be reeling it steadily i may be actually dragging it but i'm going when i'm when you're talking muddy water though cold muddy water i mean i'm it's got to be on the cover or in the cover you know what i'm saying it's got to be on that limb not not off to the right a foot or out in front of it. I mean, I'm talking throw it on it at the very back of it, let it slide off onto the side and then roll it down. If it's a brush pile, I'm, I want to, you're, you gotta, here's the thing. People want to avoid the stuff with a jackhammer cause it's, you know, 12 bucks. If you get it cheap, 18 bucks, if you pay full price for it, you want to try and avoid hanging that up. But if you're not, willing to fish that where it's going to get hung up you're not where the fish are yeah because the fish are in there exactly so now you've got an 18 dollar lure that's not going to catch you and it may catch you one or two here and there but what's it worth if it's not catching any fish so you exactly. gotta throw it where the fish are so yeah in that in that situation with the jackhammer i'm gonna fish it slow as i can fish it and i'm gonna i'm gonna vary just a steady slow retrieve with a drag and I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the cover on it. Uh, so. I, I get I get that. And uh, just to kind of you know push that a little further, you know I, I know a lot of experienced anglers are already gonna know this, but for any you know brand new bass fishermen that you know might not know a whole lot of, about bass and want bass are an ambush uh, predator. They they like to hide behind wherever they can hide behind and wait for, you know, wait for their prey to come swimming mm -hmm. along and then just jump out and, and, and grab them up. Yep. So the, the nastier the cover is, the more likely there is a, a bass in there trying to hide and wait for something to come along. So, you know, sometimes you get, you got to get in there to those dirty spots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You got it. You're dead on. So, uh, what do you have another, like a another? What did we did we get to? You know, a uh, uh, top lure of yours in, inside tournaments. You know, we talked about the frog for fun fishing. Yeah. So I said my top four or five. So oh, yeah, you five did was those the, the jackhammer so my search bait like my confidence bait is and and if you follow me on social media you know what it is because i post about it all the time is a swim bait 
and particularly a four and a half to five inch swim bait on a bladed weighted hook swim bait hook the one i use is by wicked weights it's called the wicked willow and it's a tungsten belly weighted swim bait hook with a willow leaf blade on it now i do switch that blade out sometimes depending on conditions but 80 percent of the time i'm fishing that willow blade on the back of it with a four and a half to five inch swim bait pick your favorite strike king rage tail bass tricks i don't care it doesn't matter um whatever you have confidence is that's what i'm gonna throw that's my search bait unless i'm in conditions in which i feel like the spinner bait may excel so cloudy windy days i'll probably switch over to that spinner bait uh, but that's really kind of my search bait whereas another guy might throw a crank bait or something like that that's my search bait um yep go ahead I was just going to say, is there a particular brand uh, swim bait that you like to go with, or do you kind of mix it up? Is there different ones for different situations? Or Yeah, so when we're talking about specifically, you know, fishing that that weighted swim bait hook with the, with the willow blade, right, that underspin style, um, Strike King Rage Swimmer is is kind of a constant for me and honestly the reason why is they're easy to find i can get them at walmart in a pinch you get them anywhere yeah you can get them anywhere because really all of these all of these swim baits are are mimicking a kai tech the kai tech was kind of the originator there right so all of these rib swim baits have a very similar profile have a very similar kick um, this, the strike King seem to last a long time. I can catch a lot of fish on them and, and really, they're just really available. If I, if I'm going through them or if I forget to order some, I can run in just about any Walmart across the nation and find the one I want in the color that I want, which is like that KVD magic or whatever. It's pretty much the one I throw. Then you throw white too, as well. Uh, and then there's some other custom swim baits that I throw, um, from time to time. If I want that water wobble or something a little tighter if i want to fish really really fast a lot of times i'll throw like a skinny dipper on there uh reaction innovation skinny dipper so um i don't know why i just like i think fishing fast that it does a little performs a little better um but yeah my go-to is the strike king sweet well i i feel like we know uh I feel like we know the real Sam Jones a little better after tonight. Good, man. Uh, That's good. <laughs> all right. So so I'm gonna, you know, hit you with a couple questions that uh that I've uh I've pretty much done this from the start, but I kinda got out of it for a little bit. I'm trying to get back into it with it being season three now. Mm. So I'm gonna hit you with a couple questions that I try to ask all my guests at the end of the interview. Um Okay, brand new bass fishermen. You know, they're wanting to get into it. They got the interest in it. And so they're like, all right, I'm going to go pick up, you know, a couple lures to get me started. So they want to pick up three lures. And they come to you like, hey, Mr. Sam Jones, you professional fisherman, you. <laughs> do you, <laughs> do you, uh, I, I'm going to go to wherever, go to Walmart or Academy or 
I, I want to pick up, you know, three lures to get me started with bass fishing. What three lures would you suggest that brand new bass fisherman to pick up? I'm probably first going to ask them what water they're fishing. Because uh, if they're, uh, they're going to fish a pond or if they're going to go out and fish on Kentucky Lake or if they're going to fish a grassy, that's the first thing I'm going to ask. What water are you fishing? Well, see, now you're putting me on the spot. I was trying to put you on the spot. Now you're putting me on the spot. This ain't fair. All right. They, they, well, I'm not going to tell but, a kid that's going to go out and fish a fish a pond in Indiana that's full of grass to go buy a, a crankbait to cover water with. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's it, it's hard for me to just say these are three layers. That's fair. But okay, they don't know. They, okay. <laughs> look, we'll, we'll put it this way to give you a little bit. They, they live near you. That's why they're asking you mm. this. They live mm. near you. They don't know what body, bodies of water to go to because they haven't actually went bass fishing yet. Yeah. So, so, I mean, without actually suggesting what bodies of water for them to go to, just mm-hmm. bodies of water around you, what would you say? Yeah, sorry I made that difficult. Uh, <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> I'm gonna say a jig. Yeah, is there football jig, swim jig, flipping jig? I'm arc- gonna say I'm gonna say a, ca- a good casting jig. Um, that uh, that is uh, something that you can fish around cover, grass, and swim. Um, so I'm gonna recommend. Personally, I'm going to recommend the Wicked Weights um, tungsten casting jig that we have. It's called the Combat Jig. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be the one that I'm going to recommend. Um, but I'm going to recommend it, the Jig Masters flipping jig. That's hey, you know, <laughs> when you're talking about a lead jig, absolutely. Um, Josh hooked me up with some of those this fall at the Turkey Bowl. And I played around with them, and I caught some big fish on them this fall, uh, the football jig and the flipping jig. So, yes, if you're talking about a lead jig, I'm with you. The jig master is great. And there's, and that's the thing. about You can make your own jig. One of the best jig heads, lead jig heads I've ever used is the, I think it's just called the brush jig from Do It Molds. I used to make those when I was in high school. That's a great jig. It's a great jig. It skips well. It fishes through a lot of cover well. Um, is it the best jig out there? Oh, I don't think so, but it's a great jig. You know, you want to make your own jigs. So I'm going to say a jig, right? You can fish that a lot of different ways, many different water depths, right? I'm going to, I'm going to tell you probably start with a three eighths ounce. Um, you can fish shallow, you can fish fairly deep. So I'm going to start with a jig and then I'm going to tell you a spinner bait. Cause if you're getting started out. That spinnerbait is something that you can cover, again, multiple different water columns with. It's fairly easy, and it just catches fish. Okay. Always has, always will. Going off that, well, Mr. Sam Jones, uh, if you want me to get a spinnerbait, can Walmart's got these that are a dollar a piece. Will those work? Anything will work. I've seen guys catch fish off of those lures where you pull the drawstring and the tail flaps anything will work 
But, and again, you buy the best thing that's in your budget. If your budget is a dollar spinner bait from Walmart, get a dollar spinner bait from Walmart. Ten pounders have been caught on them. I like that. I like. You know that. what I'm saying? Buy the best thing that's in your budget. If you can afford an $8 spinnerbait, get you an $8 spinnerbait. You know what I'm saying? Get you, get you the, and then, you know, whatever you got confidence in. Because here's the thing. If you have confidence in something, you're going to make more cast. You're going to keep that bait in the water longer. And you're going to focus more on how you're fishing it. And then you're way more likely to catch fish. So, yep. I, I like that. That's that's some really good advice right there. I like that whole, you know, whatever your budget allows you. All right. So, that was number two, I believe. Mm-hmm. We got one more. Uh, it's going to be a shaky head. Shaky head. It's got to be a shaky head. I know you and Brian the Killer Schiller love those shaky heads. Yeah, that's, you know, we talked about the, the swim bait and the chatter bait and the frog. That's one that we didn't really talk about. Again, we could do a whole show on that. I would love to do a whole show on that. Um, we can but, definitely do it sometime. I think we're yeah. getting a little low on time with this one, though. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even think we got into the deep water thing, really. Um, <laughs> we really but, didn't. <laughs> yeah, so there's another episode. Um, but, yeah, the, the shaky head for sure. Again, that's something you can fish in all water columns. You can fish it in cover, around cover. You can even fish it around grass. Um, and you can fish a lot of different soft plastic baits on it. So everybody knows it for, you know, a shaky head worm, right? A finesse worm. Right. But there are plenty of other baits you can fish on that. Sweet. Um, so one more question I'm going to hit you with. And this could be harder or easier depending on whatever. But, okay. So mm-hmm. one piece of advice you would give to a brand new bass fisherman. Don't get caught up on collar and having a ton of tackle i i i can see that but coming from you aren't you the man that's got like a crazy amount of tackle like i have a crazy amount of tackle yes (laughs) yes i do um that i have it's true i carry more gear than a lot of guys but I don't have 16 different types of crankbaits and 16 different types of jigs and 16 different collars of Cinco's. I, I keep my collar. Now, it's not always been the case. I used to have a wall in my basement that had every kind of bait you can imagine and every collar down from there. I mean, it, it was a, you would have been amazed by the amount of plastic that I had, and I've given a lot of it away over the last few years because I had to dial it down. I realized that I wasn't fishing with any of it. I went back and started thinking about what I was actually catching fish on and what I had confidence in and realizing that it's just a big waste of time and it's a really big waste of money. So, yeah, I would say just don't get caught up in all of that and find find you know a couple two three four lures that cover the different water columns that you have confidence in and stay simple with color that's that's what i would say to a brand new fisherman most excellent sir 
Thanks. Mr. Jones, it's been a pleasure having you on uh, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment. Um, you know, like you said, you know, there's a lot of stuff we could have covered that we didn't cover tonight. So, you know, maybe in the future we can get you back on here. We can talk about some more of that stuff. Uh, for anybody that's new to the podcast, you know, check out Sam on Fridays. He does the Reel Down segment over there with Dan Perry. You know, they go, go over tournament recaps. They've been, you know, here in kind of the off season, they've been talking to a lot of tournament directors. You get a, for anybody that's new to the tournament scene, that's a lot of, a lot of good information in that right there. You can learn a lot about the tournament scene, just listening to those tournament directors. So that, so make sure you check him out on Fridays if you ain't already. Um, is there anything you, you want to add to this before we end it? No, man, I appreciate you you having me on. And like you said, I'd love to, uh, you know, come on and talk about some of these other topics. Um, you know, of course, if you guys want to follow me or get in touch with me, I'm really easy to find on social media. Uh, all you have to do is type in at jonesing2fish, not T-O, just the number two, jonesing2fish on Facebook or Instagram. I'll pop up. You can also follow follow me and what I'm doing with Hoosier Kayak Bassin. Again, that's on Facebook and Instagram. We're getting ready to launch that website. In fact, by the time this airs, that should be live. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys have any questions or, or need anything, want to just talk about fishing, any of the things that uh, we've covered tonight, I'd be happy to happy to do that. So get a hold of me. Yes, sweet. And, and Sam, you know, he posts a lot of good stuff on, like, Instagram and stuff like that. But if y'all want to follow any of us hosts here at Paddle and Finn, you know, a, a lot of us are Facebooks. You can see us on uh, on the Paddle and Finn Facebook page. You know we you know we interact with people in the comment section quite a bit in there whenever people are commenting. And uh, on Instagram, you know you can you can see us quite a bit on that. I believe we even have a post on there um, with all of us tagged. So you know if people want to follow any of us hosts, you know we're all tagged in that post over there on Instagram. So you can follow us and. You know, a lot of us, I, I know me personally, when somebody follows me, if they got fishing-related stuff uh, in their pictures and stuff, I usually give them a follow back, you know, because yeah. that's, that's what I like to see. But, uh, yeah, everybody, it's the real Sam Jones right here. He got <laughs> finally got his moment of fame, you know. He, he gives everybody else their moment of fame. It was his time, Sean. But... Make sure you follow him. Make sure you check him out on Fridays. And other than that, guys, tight lines and smooth paddling. Later. Go check out the website, guys. Paddle, the letter N in fin.com. Also, check out YouTube, youtube.com forward slash paddle and fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N in fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're doing giveaways, announcements, things like that at Facebook and Instagram at paddle and fin. Shout out to our show supporters, Rocktown Adventures, Loveland Canoe and Kayak, Hammered Lures, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com. You can put the Paddle and Fin logo right on your catchboard. Don't forget to go over and pick up your Jigmasters jigs. Use promo code PNF20 and save 20% today. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. 
It helps grow the audience, helps others find our podcast. So please drop a five-star rating in on the podcast platform you're listening on. Don't forget about the Recycled Plastics program, you guys. Take your used plastic baits, put them in an envelope, mail them to the address in the show notes. Our man Eric Richards at Hammered Lures melts those down, makes new baits, and donates them to various chapters of Heroes on the Water. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.